Primetime with Sean Mooney is brought to you by ZipRecruiter. And coming up, I'll let you know how you can use ZipRecruiter absolutely free. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. However, standing by right now is the one and the only Sean Mooney. Who? Mooney, everybody's got a price for the million dollar man. <laughs> After you threw him off through the announce table, Taker climbs back down, he gets in the ring, and he goes, see if he's breathing. So right before I called 911, I thought she'd fallen asleep. Kind of shook her a little bit to, to wake her up, and she did not respond. I don't go down to my, go to my grave testifying or whatever, swearing that Davey was not on drugs. If he was on drugs, the way Brett says, how does, I mean, how great does that make Davey? Are you laughing, Sean? I get off the track here all the time. Did you just laugh, Sean? You go ahead and chop me. Give me a big chop. I'll sell, I'll give you my whole chest and everything. And then I'll look at you like this, and then I'll punch you right in the mouth as hard as I can. (laughs) Attention, Sean Mooney, you scum, you slime, you maggot. If there's no further questions, you're dismissed. Carry on, maggot. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Primetime with Sean Mooney. I hope you have had a great week so far and uh, have enjoyed my conversation with the legendary J.J. Dillon this past week's episode. And I really enjoyed our chat. J.J. Uh, has seen it all and done it all. And I really loved getting his uh, insight, his very candid insight, to those early years in the business uh, when he was uh, around in the 70s and 80s, and then, of, of course, surviving all those years in the WWE, working directly with Vince McMahon. And, uh, you know, I was uh, with the WWF at the time when J.J. was there and got to know him pretty well, but uh, I had no idea about some of the uh, workings behind the scenes that he uh, provided us in that episode. So I uh, really enjoyed it, and I want to thank J.J. for coming on PTSM. Uh, what a great time, isn't it, to be watching professional wrestling these days? I mean, wow. Uh, we've got the Wednesday Night Wars. Um, I don't know if that's officially been declared, but uh, we've got uh, that going on right now between the upstart AEW going head-to-head with NXT and the WWE. All Elite right now at this point winning the ratings battle so far, but both have been losing viewers since that competition began just a few weeks ago. And then, of course, after a big debut with SmackDown on Fox, uh, they lost a million viewers in a week, uh, resulting in the firing of Eric Bischoff. I'm sure you've heard all about that. Uh, Prompting the reassignment of Bruce Pritchard, now taxed with coming in and trying to right the ship, uh, stop the leakage of viewers. And, uh, boy, that is a heavy load. I hope uh, things go well for Bruce. Um, You know, and, and with all this happening... Uh, the question is, you know, is there room for some of these other organizations to gain some ground for attention in the world of professional wrestling? Uh, we'll be talking a lot about that today in this week's episode. Uh, and one of those organizations in particular, the NWA, specifically NWA's Power, or, you know, the, uh, the new uh, show that's on YouTube with the NWA that uh, has done really well in its first couple episodes uh, this week, my guest, a former WWE writer and now someone who is a big part of Billy Corgan's new NWA, Dave Lagana, and uh, we will be getting to that conversation. But first, I want to talk to all my listeners who own their own businesses. Now, you know, it, it is uh, tough enough 
these days to run a business. I know that for a fact because I had my own production company for nearly a decade. And while it is great to be your own boss, the downside is that most of the time you are just that, on your own. And sometimes, you know, you just want to listen to a great podcast like Primetime with Sean Mooney and not worry about how you're going to find somebody who's skilled enough, who works really hard and has a great attitude to fill that position you need filled. Believe me, when I look back, boy, I wish I used ZipRecruiter when I had Moonrise Productions. Well, the great thing is you can, and I can help you do it for free. That's right. But first, let me tell you a story. Cafe Altura's COO, Dylan Miskowitz, needed to hire a director of coffee for his organic coffee company, but he was having trouble finding qualified candidates. So, guess what? He switched to ZipRecruiter. Now, ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them for you. It's technology and it identifies people with the right experience and then invites them to apply to your job so you get qualified candidates fast, really fast. Now, Dylan posted his job on ZipRecruiter and said he was impressed by how quickly he had great candidates apply. He also used ZipRecruiter's candidate rating feature to filter his applicants so he could focus on the most relevant ones. And that's how Dylan found his new director of coffee in just a few days. Now, with results like that, it's no wonder four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. I'm going to say that again. Four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day, folks. So, remember how I said I can help you find just the right candidate for the job you need to fill for free? Because you are a loyal listener of Primetime with Sean Mooney, you can try ZipRecruiter for free just by going to our web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash primetime. See why ZipRecruiter is effective for businesses of all sizes. Try ZipRecruiter for free at our web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash primetime. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash P-R-I-M-E-T-I-M-E. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. All righty. Big shout out now to all of our Patreon members. I cannot forget you. You guys are awesome. Uh, If you haven't joined us yet, why haven't you? For just $4.99, you get the podcast early and ad-free. If you join us uh, with one of the tiers, uh, become a Mooney or a Legion of Who member, uh, you get so much more, including a phone call from me. That's right, I call you. You also get a signed vintage photo. Uh, We've got live watch-alongs. We've got those live AMAs, the Ask Mooney Anythings, where... You can come on the screen with me, too, and interact, you know, ask your questions or just rant, whatever you want to do. And also, uh, every week, uh, you get to ask questions of our guests every week exclusively, just you guys. And uh, you also get to choose which guests appear on the podcast uh, every week with our guest poll every week. So become a Legion of Who member on top of all that, and you get your very own podcast with me after you've been with us uh, for a while. And then after a year... You get your very own watch-along of your choosing, and it's so easy. All you have to do is go to patreon.com slash primetimemooney, and uh, you'll find all the details right there. I hope you'll join us. What are you waiting for? Come on. And also, be sure to catch up on our PTSM Network Classics every Monday at 6 a.m. Eastern Time. Uh, We've been having a lot of fun with those. This week, we feature a January 4th, 1985 episode of Tuesday Night Titans. Remember that show? A uh, very bad parody of, of late night talk shows uh, with Vince uh, as the host and his lordship, 
uh, Lord Alfred Hayes as his sidekick, and uh, it was a lot of fun to do the watch along. I hope you will check that out on Monday mornings. This one is out this week, 6 a.m. Eastern time. Okay, time to get to the main event. As I mentioned at the top of the podcast, there is a lot going on in the world of professional wrestling today with uh, many very good independent organizations out there really starting to get the attention of fans out there, and that would include the new NWA that was purchased by uh, Smashing Pumpkins frontman uh, Billy Corgan uh, back in 2017. And what is uh, old is new as the uh, uh, new NWA has a new wrestling show that is definitely a throwback to the days where wrestling shows were done, you know, in, in television studios with relatively small audiences. And uh, this one, uh, it airs on YouTube. It's called NWA's Power with three R's. And it's definitely gotten the attention of the wrestling world. Uh, one of the key players making it happen is former WWE writer and now NWA vice president, Dave Lagana. So... What do you say? Let's get to my conversation with Dave. Ding, ding, ding. Folks, my guest this week started his career in Hollywood uh, and even wrote an episode of Friends during his time there. But he is much more well-known for his writing and creative talents in the world of professional wrestling, having worked with some of the top organizations, including, of course, the WWE, Ring of Honor, also Impact. Uh, He is now involved in a new venture along with his friend Billy Corgan. NWA's just launched Power. Dave Lagana, welcome to Primetime. How are you? Thank you, and I, I appreciate you getting all the extra R's in there, Sean. So it's yeah. Uh, I was uh, yeah. I worked on that because I and there's three there. So I you're, make you're, sure you're, that... you're a professional broadcaster, and you know it's mm-hmm. uh, you know it's been actually one of the one of the greatest parts of my getting to do this. I've been doing this 19 years. Is Literally, have gotten to work or or, or uh, do something with everyone. I, I I hate. And I'm sure you don't want to hear this. Grew up watching, and you know, the, <laughs> no, fact, the fact that sure. we um we got to produce a, a, a pre tape together for All In, and uh, you know, we can talk about yeah. that later. But like, you know, it's it's really cool, and I, I'm I'm happy for you. You know, after how long of a break from wrestling that you're back involved, and you know, yeah. doing all that stuff. So they never really let you go. It's like Godfather Three. Remember oh. that. Oh, trust me. Just I, I when know. I get out, they pull me back in, right? Exactly. So, did you no, uh, you ever get a chance to work with Gene? Did you get to do yeah. some stuff with Gene? I'm I did some stuff with Gene at WWE. My my yeah. my yeah. favorite uh, at WrestleMania 20 at Madison Square Garden. There's there was a uh, I I produced with Bruce Pritchard. I think it was Bruce uh, a pre-tape with Gene and Bobby Heenan and May and Moolah where they were making out in a in a in a, in a room in the bowels of Madison Square Garden. And my job on the pre-tape was to push the door as if they were humping against the door. Oh, and so, God. I mean, classic piece of, 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 of television. And obviously yeah. you work with Gene and Bobby. And I mean, like, here they are, obviously in, in the twilight of their career and still delivering such performances. And, you know, so, yeah, I was very happy to work with both of them. So Yeah, two of the funniest uh humans i've ever i ever met in my life yes. and uh, really i had the, the privilege of of uh being a straight man for them now and then and uh you know well but we'll get into that but first yep. let's, let's talk about this new venture since we uh kind of let in with that and uh i've gotten a chance to watch the the first two mm-hmm. um tell me about this i mean it, it's kind of a throwback and and why so Where did all you know, the concept yeah so so you know after billy and i's um we either jettisoned impact or they jettisoned us, you know, it's, it's up for debate on how that all went, but you know, yeah. we, we decided, you know, and, and, you know, 
we we were talked about doing opening Billy Corgan Wrestling because you know the the naming of a wrestling company is there's so many, especially now there's so many different names and you know brand equity and value is it's really hard to kind of especially from scratch start up something that you know sits in people's minds so when the opportunity came up yeah. to buy the NWA you know it was you know Billy is an old school wrestling fan I am too I started watching wrestling in 1985 and. You know, the 605 World Championship Wrestling Show was one of the first shows I ever watched. You know, I would yeah. watch I'd watch Superstars on, on Saturday morning and then Saturday night I'd watch uh, World Championship Wrestling. And so as we evolved the brand and looked what to do, you know, it's as much as it's a throwback, it's really just it's a format that works. And it's, honestly, it's the same format as every other wrestling show. It's just. The environment is so different, and with everybody else being in big arenas and, and trying to portray it one way, it's literally, let's just try the opposite, but it also bounces off our history. And, you know, the studio is, there's an homage to Memphis, there's an homage to Georgia Championship Wrestling, there's an homage to the, the, the TBS 605 NWA uh, World Championship Wrestling Show. You know, there's a lot of little things that are familiar to people that are um, over 40, that maybe have watched it prior. I'm 44. You know, I saw it when I was 10, you know, and, you know, after 1989, I know the Memphis version continued on, I think till 97, but you know, the format still works because it's, it's, it's the, it's, and I just said this in the other interview I did prior to yours, this, we're a lot closer to Saturday night live than we are Monday night raw. Yeah. It's, it's this, it's this, I hate to say performance art, but, we're taking the genre of pro wrestling and, and those fans come in there knowing they're as much part of the show as, as, as the performers. So it's really a unique environment. So as much as it's a, a throwback, it's really, um, it's this, there's no excuses if you're a talent. Okay. You don't have music. Well, great. So, so everyone's at the same place. So when you walk out, you know exactly how over you are. You, you want a crowd reaction. It's got to be done from your work or your promo ability. And there, there's no uh, sterile environment. I'll use an example we talked about earlier. You know, the pressure of cutting a promo in front of a live audience, the talents work off that. The day that you and I and Nick produced that pre-tape for All In, it, Nick looked at me like, you want to do it now? This is, yeah. Sean's here. And you remember that, like the room, like yeah, yeah. the heaviest hitters in pro wrestling were in that room from oh all of God. the Impact yeah. people, Kenny Omega, and and you guys got it in one take. And it's, it's funny because I tried to quiet everyone down and they didn't. But you and Nick and, you know, Nick really commanded that room for everyone to listen to him talk. And it's a power to be able to, to cut a promo and, and get everyone captivated. And that's what this show is about. Yeah. And, and, you know, people long for those days. I mean, the people that really were watching wrestling in the 70s and those in the early 80s, uh, that was what wrestling was to them. It was these small studios a very intimate crowd. There might be, God, in some places anywhere from, you know, 20 to you know, 50 or something uh, people. So you hear, you hear everything. And then there's this, there's this interaction and it just, uh, you know, it just takes people back. And yet you, you've, you've captured it. I mean, just mm -hmm. watching it, uh, really it did. It, it took me back now. Uh, I didn't watch a lot of it when I was a kid, but I, I remember it uh, very well. And I think that, you know, like you said, there, all these others, it's all about the big arenas. It's all about, you know, all these huge crowds, the pyro, the music. Mm -hmm. And this is pure. And I think mm -hmm. that that's uh, what's really catching on to people. Yeah, it's it's um, it's still like, but it, all the elements of what works in pro wrestling today still work yeah. in this environment. And, 
the show though is not you know and you know when you go back and watch any of the old programming you know i think i think you can appreciate the work that you know vince did with superstars because superstars was such a um upgrade in the genre where a lot of the old studio shows 30 to 50 percent was just dreck like oh, ron garvin yeah. would go out and wrestle a guy for 12 minutes and just beat him up for 12 minutes like yeah. like that just it's cable was was an afterthought you know and and you remember superstars was the a show primetime wrestling was not was not the what sold the tickets that was you know not many people had cable more people saw probably saw superstars so the energy went into that show to make it as slick as possible primetime was good but yeah. it was, you know, old matches from, uh, you know, the Boston Garden or the Philadelphia Spectrum. But like like this this format that we do now, it moves at the pace that people watch TV. And one of the nicest compliments I got from a reporter was like, this is the first show that I didn't pick up my phone to go to find something else while it was on. Because I, I put my foot down on the gas pedal and, you know, and to really keep that that format moving with every second of the show. And and is it the idea because you you mentioned uh, superstars and uh, I've I've done watch alongs with some people and uh, you know talked a lot about those days because I was you know actively involved with the event center and all that mm-hmm. but you know superstars was basically when you stripped it down it was a total promotional tool and oh, yeah. it was brilliant for what they did with it you know you 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 have your uh, you know your superstars you make sure you profile them they go out there. You know, rarely do you see two superstars going at it. It would mm-hmm. be these squash matches. Uh, we'd throw in some vignettes in there to profile the talent. Um, and then they'd have me hawk the, uh, the live events, which is what back then drove it. That's, that's how the guys yeah. got paid. That was the, they got paid by the gates. So the, the big, uh, focus was get people to house shows. Um, is, is there some of that with this, uh, with, with power? Yeah. to uh, do that exactly. I mean, what is what is the business plan with this? So, so you know, Billy, you know, this, the comment Billy made prior to um, to this, I, see, I think he said at the press conference, you know, this is not a sustainable model, meaning uh, spending <coughs> what we spend per episode you right. know, and putting it on YouTube, right. the YouTube money, and, and I'll be transparent, we're, the, the production is not being paid for right now on YouTube money alone. Right. But what is, but but what has happened since we uh, we launched was the audience has grown so quickly that we're a lot closer to being sustainable than we were when before we started. So it, it's really been and there's a combination. So so paying for this is ticket sales, merch, <clears throat> YouTube ad money, and then like you said, se- selling tickets. So now uh, our breaks will evolve. So if Nick Aldis is defending the NWA title. Um, in like he's wrestling in Minneapolis this weekend. So there was a there's a, a ticket on sale in the show. We right. also could have put a ticket selling promo if either the promoter would, would want to purchase that as an ad. So like the business model of this show is to really be accessible for anyone. Like Sean Moody can buy a commercial on the show if he wants to promote his podcast. Like as long as it fits the genre and we produce the content so it fits inside of our world. This show can be a marketing tool for anybody that wants to sell to this type of audience. Yeah, but with YouTube and and you know, folks, it's certainly not uh, low numbers, but you're talking, I think, about a half a million uh, for you know these episodes. But on the grand scale, like you said, that's not going to pay the bills. I mean, you guys have uh, you know very big talent. Uh, you've got yeah. everything that goes with it. Is it to uh, is there eventually to another to another uh, platform? Uh, pay-per-views perhaps coming up. I mean, what, yeah, so, what is so, the, so, 
Yeah, the plan is simple. It's, you know, and as as expensive as this show is, it's um, probably 10 to 15 times cheaper than what, let's say, AEW's production costs. So mm-hmm. our per episode number, if I, I'll tell you off the air, it's 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 a lot closer to what it is. And that's one of the reasons we went with this studio specifically where we didn't need a production truck. It's all built in. Everything is in house. We use a lot of their in-house people, which are a lot of Emmy award winners. We didn't, we didn't hire everybody who's done wrestling for the last 20 years. We went in a new direction. Um, You know, the talents understand, like we have certain talents under exclusive deals. Other talents are working on, you know, exclusive for a cycle, maybe two cycles, you know, the economics of this are really unique because it shouldn't work. We should this should not work on any level putting a show for free on YouTube. But the reason it's working is it, and it's really interesting. So a live episode when we premiered at 605 Eastern, the last all three weeks, we've kind of peaked at about 12,000 live concurrent video uh, of viewers. Mm-hmm. But what's happening after that is within 12 to 15 hours it's 120,000 viewers so 10 times the people that watched it live are watching it on their schedule and they're not I was concerned that people will go well if I don't watch it live it's whatever but this is the speed that culture moves and a platform like YouTube can do for me what CBS can't so for example if you're not watching CBS or see an ad for CBS you may not know about the show that's on CBS with YouTube it allows if you watched one hour of AEW Dark, they might suggest, well, here's another show that's an hour that is that people like you are watching. Why don't you watch this? And in our first week, 35 percent, I think it was somewhere between 35 and 41 percent of the people that watched um, Power watched AEW Dark. Yeah. So and, and that cost zero dollars of marketing thing because the platform allowed it. And so so. I think some version of this show will forever be for free on YouTube. And, you know, we, we, we have our, we have our ad breaks after a live premiere, we put uh, YouTube ad breaks and the goal is to continue to grow the audience. So it becomes a, a sustainable product, sort of like how, you know, back in the day, the guys who work superstars, the, the, the enhancement talent made more, you know, the, they, they got paid more because the guys knew that being on superstars helped their checks rise uh, at the arenas. And we yeah. want to build a very much a model like that where, you know, we have talents under exclusive deals and now the talents prices are already up. They're in more demand off of three weeks of uh, content that isn't even focused to sell tickets. But now people, everybody's energy is up in, in such a way that it's, it's been really appreciated. And honestly, we've been floored and, you know, to hear hearing from you and various other people in the business, that it's so something they didn't think was possible has really been such a like for Billy. It's such a like he is so happy with with the results. And obviously we have a lot of work to do. But, yeah, the goal is to, you know, these TVs will peak with a pay-per-view and very much like the old traditional thing. So, you know, we hope to with that pay-per-view, you know, get into the black for this season where all of these TVs lead up to it. And where it'll pay for itself because and, and you know this by better than anybody. Once you take somebody's money, you answer to their money. So, you know, the more we stay independent, the more freewheeling and control we will have over the brand. Yeah. And, and you mentioned, you know, platforms like YouTube, it, it, regardless of what you go on to or expand this to, it's the revenue stream that just keeps giving. And that's yeah. what's awesome about, you know, the way this has evolved, because, as you mentioned, you put product up there. 
Uh, you've got people that immediately come on, maybe they, they see it live or whatever, and then they can just keep watching and they can yep. they go back and watch other episodes and it just keeps going. Um, yeah, it's, and it's people, really, it's just awesome. There's so many different streams you can have now. Yeah, and people will discover it. And, you know, when I yeah. broke into Hollywood, I think I moved there in 1996. I had two internships. I worked in the NBC primetime series department as an intern, and I worked on Young and the Restless. And, you know, the barrier of entry to make anything, and I think you could even go back to you even getting your job in, in, in the WWF or any job, like it, you had to know somebody or find a way in. Now, anybody with a camera, and a, and a computer can create, and the the barrier of entry to have build an audience is zero. It's just creativity. Yeah, it's up and, to you. Yeah, and it's and it's crazy. And you know, it, it's I wish I wish I would have been younger. Like like if I was twenty now, man, I wouldn't go to college. I'd be I would be yeah. films <laughs> on YouTube because yeah. I learn everything from YouTube. It's it's to me, you know, Billy and I wouldn't be here at the NWA without YouTube, and it's allowed us. It's allowed us to create and and run very lean, and you know there's no standards and practices. You know it's it, there's nobody telling us well you can't do that on YouTube. Well no yeah. you can do really anything as long as it's not sort of excessive violence or you know hate speech. Yeah. And you know this show is like like to, to watch people find it. And every morning at six a.m. or five a.m. when my cat wakes me up, uh, I, I I get my coffee and for an hour I read through all the feedback and I write back to people and I'm just finding people are finding the show in unique ways. I found it on this message board. My friend tagged me in a tweet and it's it's so organic and I think it shows what is really possible not only just for wrestling for anybody that wants to do anything that if you if you hit the right um, you hit the right period like you you can you can get an audience. Yeah. And I wanted to, to talk about the talent too, because they, they need to be, uh, you know, in. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, someone like Nick Aldis, who is one of my, my favorites now. I mean, I just, I just love him and the, the opportunities I've had to speak with him. And of course, that opportunity to do, you know, that interview, but he, uh, he is a, a big star. I mean, he has opportunities. I'm sure that he's had, you know, uh, from some, maybe some of these other organizations. Yeah, but it sounds like I mean he's in, and uh, I know the other talent, but I don't. Uh, I'm not familiar. Like have been around them, and if, are they of the same, uh, you know, belief in this in what you guys are doing? Yeah. So everybody that's on this show, and and you know, we made a we made a documentary about sort of the making of, mm-hmm. and you know, it's been cut up in pieces, and I'll send it to you if you haven't seen it. It's uh, I said to everybody, you're all here for a reason. You were all either selected, or have a relationship with us because. Um, very much like Moneyball, you know, everybody that's here can execute in this format. We don't have a lot of uh, six-star pro wrestling guys. It's, it's just not this format. And because the market is oversaturated between NXT and AEW and WWE, yeah. they're all doing sort of the same genre of wrestling. So we went with, you know, and, and uh, Eli Drake said it and, and Nick said it. We went with men, like real men that, when when I started watching wrestling, these were the type of men that were on television and yeah. and and star star looking talents and also star. I mean, Eddie Kingston, Eddie Kingston looks like a guy that you would see sitting at the end of the bar that you don't want to f with. And yeah. you know, he he comes through. Like, Tim Storm too. I oh, wouldn't Tim mess Storm, with him. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, everybody has a touch yeah. of something that's familiar. Tim yeah. Storm is one part Ron Garvin. One yeah. part dusty roads, one like like nobody is a direct copy because they're all these individual selves, and they yeah. all 
they all know how to communicate and and it's a lost art and i've had probably a thousand wrestlers and maybe that's hyperbole maybe it's 500 reach out wanting to be on this show and my number one question is or what i say is is we work off strong recommendations of talents that are on our show that would put their name on the line saying this person's can't miss or this person deserves a chance yeah. and you have to be able to talk and and everybody on our show can communicate and even Camille saying no words is able to communicate in a way that probably most women on television, wrestling television, aren't doing now. So it's everybody's everybody is uh, in a unique position and they're here for a reason. Yeah. And I think that they're uh, at least I know for sure with Nick that uh, he, he I, I'm sure he just adores the the, the concept of it. Uh, you know, he 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 loves that old school he, uh, I remember we had a conversation talking about, you know, he just loved having, you know, directions in the ring from the ref, you know, it's yep. just, and you create this, uh, this genuine, uh, you know, sporting event. I mean, it really gets, has that feel to it. And, uh, really, I'm, I'm, I've just enjoyed what I've seen so far. It's just been great. Well, and that's, you know, we're really happy with yeah. the people's reactions to it. And, it's it's still even if even if you you didn't grow up with it you know and it was a risk because you know everyone's like oh it's just a nostalgia or a rip off or it's leaning too heavy on nostalgia no we got we had like besides cornet you know there's not a lot of old legends on this show you know mm-hmm. it's it's not it's not we didn't bring out sergeant slaughter and you know ricky steamboat and the show full of legends that they, they at times those people will pop up but this is very much these group of guys and women that all have something to prove in a market where a lot of them were told you don't fit in anymore. You're not you're not the guys that that get the certain number of stars. Well, these we're proving that just like music and just like movies, there are different subgenres inside of a, a bigger genre that speak to different audiences. And I think we've designed this show to be something that is ac- acceptable and speaks to an audience that is not being served. Yeah. Well, uh, I'm really excited to see where you guys go with this. Um, um, but I also, I also, also want to talk about your journey, yeah. Dave. Uh, and I think you're, in a lot of ways, I mean, we, we are from different generations, but I think you, you kind of grew up in, in a lot of the ways that I did. I mean, I was just crazy about entertainment when I was growing up. I love watching television shows. I love sitcoms. And, uh, you know, when you talk about your journey to Hollywood, you kind of start when you were 20, but what was it like for you growing up? Were you, uh, you know, just fascinated with television and how did writing start for you? And, and, you know, what, what, what was it that got you on that path? So, so, you know, I, I'm, I'm a child of the eighties, which there was, um, I actually, I had a computer like in 19, I think I had an Apple two C in like 83 or 84, but like I, I grew up with cable television. And so mm-hmm. then I had HBO, I had movies. So, you know, it, either went outside and played, which I did, but a lot of time was watching television and it was always fascinating to me. And, and I don't know if I've ever told this story as in a wrestling context, but when I was 13 years old, my parents and I, uh, we did this like three week ridiculous. It was like part of my dad's work trip. We went to Hawaii as like a bonus that he got, but then we had like these three off days in LA before we flew back. So we went to see a Mm -hmm. taping of family matters, the Urkel show. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so, The security guard screwed up. He was supposed to have us go right and sit on this bench to wait to go to the show. He goes, there you go. It's it's stage 16. We're like, okay. So we just start wandering the Sony lot in Los Angeles. And at the time, they're shooting the movie Hook, which had Julia Roberts, 
uh, Dustin Hoffman, yeah. uh, Robin Williams, Steven Spielberg directed it. And so here's this ridiculous, uh, most American family wandering around this Hollywood backlot. And we walk by and my dad goes, that's Robin Williams. I said, what? Good. And I look to the left. There's Robin Williams talking to Dustin Hoffman and there's Spielberg. <laughs> and I'm just like, and I, again, I'm a huge film fan. And yeah. we don't, we just, we just look at it. And, and then we, we walk to the stage and over to the right, getting out of her trailer is Julia Roberts, who at the time had just broken up with uh, Keith or Sutherland, maybe. And okay. was dating Jason Patrick. And I'm just like, this is what I want to do. Like, yeah, I wanna, it must have like, been surreal, though. Yeah, yeah, it was just kind of like, and then so like the sound stages were open so we could see the sets. Yeah. And I was just fascinated by it. And from that day, like, I remember going, I would, I don't know if I was a freshman or a sophomore, like the college that I ended up going to Emerson College, which is a huge TV school. Jay Leno went there, Dennis Leary, um, Seth Graham Smith, who uh, he, he wrote Pride, Prejudice and Zombies, uh, does a lot of big movies. It was like a really good television school. And so for me, I, I grew up watching TV. I didn't want to be a fireman. I didn't want to be anything. I almost was a geometry teacher. So thank God I didn't go down that road. Uh, but, you know, God. it was either geometry or or, uh, <laughs> or writing. And I always loved wrestling. Hmm, let me think about that one. Yeah. <laughs> I remember I actually, the book was wrong once. My geometry book in sophomore year was wrong. And I found something that was wrong in the book. And I went Ooh. to my professor and I was like, this is wrong. I said, I'd done it three times. The book's wrong. And the book was wrong. And I was just like, I was like, I think I've peaked in geometry. So that, that was all I, what I wanted. But, you know, I, I always and I always loved wrestling. And I remember being 10 years old and I, I, I knew I did not have the athletic acumen to be a pro wrestler, but I knew that the show was produced. And so I always wanted to do that. So, you know, to go to Hollywood had some nice success. But when I was in Hollywood, it was sort of the the last gasp of the sitcom era. You know, being like, I got real lucky. I got I got my job on Friends because I could type fast. That, like, right. like literally, that's how I got my job. They needed someone who could type over 80 words a minute. And at the time, when about two days before I did, the, I had my meeting. I was at 65. I literally spent two days working on my typing skills that I got clocked at 102 words a minute. Jeez. And that's how I got my job yeah. because they wanted somebody who could type fast. And it cruised in there, huh? Yeah. It was. It was <laughs> we I got a ringer. Yeah, well, he's like, he's like, do you work in like legal? I was like, no, I just can type fast because I've been mm. using a computer since 1984. Yeah. So, so it it's it's funny how things work. But I worked on uh, Jason Alexander had a sitcom called Bob Patterson. It was his first sitcom after Seinfeld, and I like it, it's I learned a real lesson with that thing. Like we had no idea if the show was good. We had no idea if the audiences would like it. And then it aired and no one liked it. Like just everyone, it just, it didn't hit with audiences. And we put all this work into it. And I'm like, this is, this is hard. Like, like you have no idea. You don't know for months later if something's going to work or not. And so when the opportunity to work at WWE came up, cause I was obviously a big fan and kept applying. And when it came up, I was like, wait, I can tell a talent what to say. And they'll say it on TV three minutes later. That is such a completely no, different environment. Reaction. Yeah. But did you so, write before this? I mean, when you came in, were you like, I want to be a writer or just I want to get into entertainment? Because my I, big plan I, when I got out of school, I was going to go to L.A. and try and become a page. You know, what I mean, but yeah. things went the other way. I got another well, I went so to the East for, Coast. Yeah. So for me, like I, 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 I picked up a video camera literally after that trip to L.A. and I started I, I, I didn't like writing papers. So literally everything in high school were videos. 
So, mm. okay. I, so I would make videos for my Italian class instead of writing a paper. And it's just, I, I, I started making videos, but when I got to college, I found writing to be, um, well, and, and you have to remember in 1995, six, seven, it, yeah. it wasn't, there wasn't an iPhone. You had to like, like the barrier of entry to make content or whatever it was, was expensive. You had to rent a camera, you know, it was, it was real difficult. So writing to me was a little bit easier. So now to come full circle now and be able to do it all. And literally our whole company is my backpack. I got a, the, the camera that yeah. I shot you on, like, like it's all right there. And the fact that I could, I shot that interview and they had it, it was on the show, you know, 20 minutes later shows what's really possible. Yeah. That's incredible. So, uh, Hollywood, I guess, was a good training ground. I mean, yeah. it probably prepared you to work with the WWE, uh, to really handle insaneness. But like you said, you just kept applying and applying and applying. Yep. And finally they said, all right, we'll give you a look. Yeah. It, it, it sure didn't hurt to have a credit with friends. You know, it's like, you know, yeah. I remember meeting Stephanie sure. and she's like, you know, we're look. And at the time they had kind of burnt out on Hollywood writers. And I remember, uh, uh, you know, a couple of famous standups had been there and, you know, I had to kind of earn my stripes at the time. And, you know, I got kind of linked up with Paul Heyman very quickly there. And, you know, I, I learned under him and then worked with Bruce. And, you know, I was I was I was on the plane and like I, I, I say this in jest now, but I would have paid to have that opportunity to learn from Vince. And obviously you spent probably yeah. more time with Vince. Like he is so as much as people think he's out of touch. He is so in touch with understanding a lot of human emotion that I think at oh, yeah. times he gets bored with it because he's been executing the same type of um, genre for so long that, you know, it's it's almost instinctual for him. But, you know, to have to have the business lesson to work for a legit billionaire who made it himself, you know, is people would people would pay high dollar to, to have that type of education on a daily basis. Yeah, you know, and people, uh, you know, talk about Vince, um, and you spent, you know, a lot of years. I mean, you, uh, went back and forth with the guy you, at yeah. some point, I'm sure. And, uh, I, I remember when I left and people would always try and get me to do interviews where they wanted me to trash him. You know, that was the, the, and I just would never do them. I just like, mm -hmm. well, I have no reason to. I mean, the guy gave me a career, basically. Yeah. But one of the points about him was, and especially back then, Dave, because, um, you know, we're talking mid eighties. I joined in 87 and it was still like a family company. I mean, we had, I, everybody knew everybody. I, yeah. you know, I knew people in corporate, uh, Basil DeVito and, mm -hmm. you know, Dick Glover and all the, I mean, everybody knew each other, especially in the production, uh, part of it. Uh, Kevin Dunn was the producer in edit one. We had mm -hmm. edit one and edit two. And that's where they did the event center. I mean, it was, but yeah. the, the thing about Vince was back then, he was able to have that interaction. And there were times when, you know, like when I got there, I had no business being on the air, really. I was nowhere near a polished, uh, you know, broadcaster. And there were there were times when uh, he would just take time and wouldn't pressure me, which he could have, you know, ripped my head off. And I tell the story. There was one time I, can't, I think it was a pay-per-view and I was supposed to do this promo inside the cage to talk about this cage match. And I could not get that. And the pressure was mounting because we're getting close. To, and there, I know there's 50 eyes up there. They're trying to want me to get this damn thing done. And Vince took his headset off and they were, it was pretty far away. He walked all the way down to ringside where this thing was. And he says, come over here, pal. And he just says, you got this. He goes, I just say this, this and this. Get up there and go do it. And he sat there and I nailed it. 
And I never forgot that because he never, he didn't have to do that. Uh, and, and he, like I said, he could have just ripped my head off and said, get somebody else in there to get Oakland or something. But at back at that time, he could, you know, really, and I know there's other moments even now that he, he, he does that, but people see that one, they don't get to see that side of him. Uh, and they, and mostly what people talk about is the horrible things. But, uh, I'm, I'm sure that you probably have a bunch of stories like that besides the bad, but there was a lot, you know, there's a lot of good to him. And he, and he gave me a, a lot of, uh, you know, great, Traits that I carried through have carried through my career. Yeah, no, nobody. There is no human. Uh, the only person I've seen work as hard as Vince is Billy Corgan. Meaning, oh. like, but like, like Vince, like, it's not like he's often, you know. And I've worked for various different people at various different levels, and you know, his he's committed to that business. He can do whatever he wants with it. And guess what? As yeah. an audience, you can decide to watch it or not. And like. It's like weird. I feel like at times some fans feel hostage to them. Like if they don't like it, then stop watching it. Like yeah. like the, the show Empire. I love the first seven episodes. And then it sort of jumped the shark when they realized they had a hit on their hand because the, the contrivance of Empire was that the lead character was dying and was going to die within a year. So mm-hmm. I think they didn't think the show was going to be successful. So that the hook. Well, but you can tell. Now what do we that, do? <laughs> yeah. But now, now they figured out, oh, crap, yeah. the show's yeah. going to be successful. So they, I remember when they pulled out of like he got cured and I'm like. Well, okay, I'm done. You know, like, right. like, like, okay, I get why they're doing it, but then, but I, I, I started to not like the show. Guess what I did? I stopped watching it. I, I, yeah. I, I didn't go on message boards and just be like, like, it just, it didn't appeal to me anymore. And, and, and in a world where literally you can open up YouTube or Google and search anything and have infinite content for the rest of your life and never pay one dollar for it, but you know, you might have to watch an ad or two. Like to me, that's such a fascinating approach. Um, to thing and and Vince built it. If he wants to have whatever happen weekly on that show, it's it's his business. And I, my job, it was, it was the Paul Heyman, just one more volley. I would always just I would speak my mind, have a discussion. But when he would say no, this is what we're doing. Okay, I spoke my mind. That's it's his dollar. That's what I said. Like when you work for somebody else's dollar, that's all you can do. It's ultimately his choice on what happens. And I think it's. Uh, uh, so I think I think it's I think it's really just, uh, you know, I respect him so much because he built it. And, you know, I remember having a breakfast with him as in Edmonton uh, and it was just him and I. And he told me about all the businesses he had had prior that failed the construction business. He sold Dixie cups, you know, to, to Dairy Queens for a while. And, you know what he went through. And I understand why how hard he fought to keep it, because think about it. He's fought now. This is his third war, you know, like and, you know, he's worked his whole life for this. This is his legacy. You know, he is trying to be the Walt Disney of pro wrestling and he's gotten he's done so much more. And, you know, I don't think his final act has been written yet. Yeah. Well, XFL's coming back, too. I remember, yeah. though, I remember Ico Pro and I <laughs> and the WBF. And but you're right. I mean, he's uh, he's built it and uh, he, he's still. He, he's done so much to create so many different, and he's tried it, you know, and yeah. he's tried movies, he's tried this, yep. and, and, you know, if you don't take chances, you never know, and, you know, you, you, I, I've walked in his shoes and seen what, like, how much work he's done, I mean, he used to, like, we would finish meetings, he'd go to the gym from 7 to 9, and then he'd be in the office working until 11 or 12 o'clock at night, like, you can't, you're not going to outwork him, and, you know, I, I've seen people criticize him, well, show me your business, 
I know yeah. how hard I work on this business. I work on this business nine days a week, and I've yet to find those extra two days that I I should yeah. work <laughs> that you need. But, yeah, uh, it's you know this is the, a business that you run is a nine day a week business, and you have to find the time, you know, to to make it work if you really want it. If you want to work for somebody else, there are plenty of people that will hire you to do many jobs that you may not enjoy. So uh, that, yeah. that's how we approach it. Yeah. So. Uh... You you get in in, in uh, what ninety nine late ninety nine I got in when... I I started there uh, February of two thousand two so I, that's oh okay Brian Brian Gewertz got in and in, in, uh, in I think he started in ninety nine and then Ed Kosky who's still there got in in two thousand so um, you know we're, we're the three old men of the group so. and you got hired by Stephanie yes uh, I so so the day that Bob Patterson was canceled I I you know it. It's funny. This is one of my favorite movies ever. Is uh, Back to the Future, and on that week of the show, Biff Tannen, I don't know his real name, was on the show, and I just remember like we didn't even get to do the show, and I'm just like, oh, but Biff from from Back to the Future was on the show, <laughs> and right. so anyway, so I come home and there's a, there, that day, and it's like the weird karma of life. That day in my mailbox is a letter from uh, Jen Unick, who was Stephanie's assistant, asking a me letter. to. Yeah, it's, it's a letter, literally a letter to submit, uh, you know, writing samples within two weeks. So I write my writing samples, I send them in, and I don't hear anything for a month. Actually, I don't hear anything for two months. And and then, like, I remember I had moved on to a, a home interior design show called the Christopher Lowell Show that I think was on TLC. I don't remember. And I remember having to do a phone interview with Stephanie, and she liked my phone interview, and I flew to – I flew – to Stanford the next week. I, I flew to Stanford on a Tuesday. I was there Tuesday, Wednesday. I got hired on a Thursday, and I was told to be in Milwaukee on Sunday. Literally, I had two days to, to uproot my life for a three-month trial, and I was there six years. And so, yeah, so was, I remember meeting Stephanie, and she was – I understand her charisma. And she used to get a really bad rap, but, you know, she knows how to talk to people, and she's a real good judge of character, and – you know, she, I, I, I loved working for her. Did we disagree? Yes. Everyone always disagrees in every job. No one will ever get along all the time. But, you know, she was such a really good boss. And, you know, she was very good to me personally on a few situations that she didn't have to. And she has a lot of her mother, you know, and obviously you spend time with Linda. You know, she she is equal parts her father and her mother. And, yeah. you know, she she is she understands how to make you feel like the most important person in that conversation you're having. And, you know, I really, you know, I, I'll, I will always thank her for that. And I literally, I have not spoken to her since 2008, uh, but I, I'll never have a bad word to say about her because she gave me what is ostensibly one of the biggest breaks of my, of my life. And she was always very supportive uh, and wanted me to be better in my job. And when you're, when you're, tw I was 25 or 26 and then I was the head writer of SmackDown at 27. I wasn't ready for that. I got thrown in the deep end. And like you, like you said, when you got there, it wasn't, it wasn't, you know, you weren't ready for that. You, they, they get you ready. And it's, yeah. uh, it, I'm really, I'm really happy with my time there. You know, and, and you mentioned Stephanie, uh, and I did uh, work with Linda a lot. She was very involved in the company then. Um, but you know, the kids used to come over and, and, uh, you know, Stephanie and Shane and no knock on Shane, but I just remember thinking even when she was, you know, in high school at the time, I'm like, this kid's sharp, you know, yeah. <laughs> she's, she, I could, I could see her work with dad, you know, yeah, she, and, she, uh, yeah, she no, certainly she, has proven that she, she's, uh, you know, I see someday that she, 
like her mother, she will run. She'll run for political office someday. Yeah. She, 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 you know, she is. I think she's two or three years younger than I am. So she's her very early forties. You know, a mother, I think, of three daughters, and you know, has has worked in successful businesses, and you know, she's a great brand ambassador, and she's a she's a very unique human, and you know, I, I, like I said, Vince's final act hasn't been written. She's she's just about to start whatever the next journey of her life would be. You know, I, I, she's still in yeah. WWE. I'm not saying she's leaving the company, but she she obviously has the skill set to do a lot a lot in this world. Well, we'll see if uh, you know Vince ever steps down, which I think he's gonna he's gonna die at an arena somewhere. But uh, <laughs> you know, she, we'll see what happens. Yeah. But um, what what was the uh, the writing staff like back then? I mean, were, how many writers did they have? How did it work? So so when I got there in 2002, um, the team at the time was, and it was one team when I first got there. It was Paul Heyman, uh, Michael Hayes, Bruce Pritchard. Uh, Brian Gewertz, who was the, and you might have met Brian. Brian was there for a long time. So uh, Brian Gewertz, Ed Kosky, and I think that was it. And then me, like that was the whole team was was like seven people. And you know, Bruce and Michael Hayes and Paul Heyman weren't technically writers. You know, they were personalities right. and they were producers. But you know, the the lion's share of the writing was between Ed Kosky, Brian Gewertz, and I. And, and you know, Ed Ed. Ed is the ultimate survivor. You know, he's been he's been on creative in WWE since 2000. Like wow. 20, like like so he's like I think he's the head of SmackDown now. But I mean he is he has done uh, yeoman's work because I was there six years and and by by year five I was like I think I'm done with this. Like I just yeah. like I, I like it's 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 really hard and taxing. Yeah, where's so, you, you know, yeah. yeah, and and you know. Vince, you know, 2002 is a really sort of chaotic year in WWE because, like, Steve Austin walks out, The Rock leaves full-time and never comes back full-time. Yeah. You know, the brand splits. You know, a lot of – Hogan comes back and then leaves again. Like, a lot happened. Like, that – if they ever do a 30 for 30 on 2002, it's really a fascinating – you know, HLA happened then, uh, Brock Lesnar's ascent. Like, there's so much that happened in 2002. Cena debuts. Uh, Randy Orton, Batista, like the the modern era of that company was Genesis in that year, but it was also very chaotic. And uh, uh, Shawn Michaels comes back. Like there was so much that happened. That's it's kind of my most favorite year in wrestling. And, and you know, I was literally at ground zero of it. You know, as it happened. Yeah, and it really was coming off that uh, that gigantic peak of uh, you know winning the uh, the Monday Night Wars and then being back on top again. And then it was like this kind of a crash of Yes. You know, what was what's next now? It's like the you knew another era is starting, but uh, you know it's 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 interesting though to think back then. And I don't know when they say writers. I mean, were you literally did you literally write bits? I mean, how did I mean? What was really the definition of a writer there? Because so, a lot of times, yeah. like it's a producer, you know. Yeah. So 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 you know the form. It's interesting because the format they have now. I actually just saw one recently. Um, it, it's very similar, and it, it's evolved over the the twenty years that's basically been since then. Yeah. You know, the format, you know, the format would have basically what the what the vignette would be. So, you know, I wrote a lot of I wrote a lot of vignettes, um, you know, and a lot of different uh, elements that really kind of different shows. So, like, sometimes you would write what would be an in-ring, a backstage segment, you know, and 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 the thing that a lot of people didn't realize you had to do if you were like so if I wrote a segment, I had to basically at TV you know, write it out in a more long form. And then you have to go in and pitch Vince and you have to literally either 
he wouldn't read it. He'd want you to kind of read it to him. And so you because you're going to have to produce the talent. So he would want to know, all right, how are you going to have him say this? And he and it was really interesting because a lot of people were like, you know, why is he doing that? He wanted to see how you would handle because he's produced talent for all these years and you're representing his vision. So your job is to make sure that what he wants comes across the screen. And boy, did you not want that? Uh, please come to Gorilla. Vince wants to see you after something aired because it was, <laughs> right. it was never good. Oh, God. No, it was, right. And Bruce it wasn't to say, hey, that's great, pal. <laughs> yeah, he, compliments did not, never came in, in, in the form of please come to Gorilla right now. That, that yeah. never happened. So, you know, he might tell you after or like, I love that thing. Like I did this one shot with Brock Lesnar once and it was more done out of necessity where the, like, it was had to be live. The lighting guy kind of was late. And so I ended up, I was like, well, there's a shadow on the wall. So let's just, let's you, let's have Brock throw a shadow and then he'll walk here and it'll look good. And we literally, literally, we had a minute to, to get it right. And we got it right. Like it, it happened. And like, I'm, I, in the post-show meeting, he's like, who did that shot? I'm like, oh God, he's going to, he's, it's, it's like, he's like, I fucking love it. It was great. Yeah. <laughs> oh, but you never knew, always, right? But you never, well, never knew. It, Vince, Vince would say, God damn it. And you never knew if it was good or bad. It was, God damn it. <laughs> God damn, pal. Like, and then, God damn it, it was t- like, you never knew yeah. what the God damn it meant. Mm-hmm. So you would wait, like, you would go, like, you would kind of tense up going, oh, God, he's going to yell. He would, like, liked it. It's like, wait, what happened? So right. it's really, uh, he's a fascinating character. And if you haven't spent more than an hour with him, you really don't know the, the onion that is Vince McMahon. But so. did you, but did you know times, like, did you, you say, I know he's going to like this? Or was it always no. like, I have no <laughs> idea. Let's just see. You, you never knew based on the day and honestly the environment to which you pitched it. So, for example, if if it was he and I alone, which is very rare, I think it was probably yeah. one out of a hundred. But yeah. like if like if if he's great to collaborate, like that story you shared, like him pulling you aside, he understood yeah. in that moment what you needed. Um, but sometimes if you're in a giant room, then love the jungle and a different Vince comes out yeah. because yep. you, like so it's it's really yeah, he like, could humiliate you in, in, oh. at the same time. Yeah. I, I once remember sitting in a chair where I kind of was like, like, like a folding chair and I kind of pushed back a little bit. So like the front two legs weren't on. He grabbed my, my knee, pushed it down and said, sit like a man. Okay, sure. Yeah. No problem. <laughs> One minute later, guess what he did? He yeah. leaned back in his chair exactly yeah. how I was doing. And you did the same thing to him, right? Uh, <laughs> I, I missed that opportunity. But, uh, but it's, so I also don't know if he was effing with me or like whatever, yeah, right. but like, that's just who he is. And it's all, you know, it's, it's like, like the sneezing. Yeah. You know, oh, it's the same, but I remember I was at a, we were at a production meeting one time. I was like sitting next to him and I was kind of drumming my fingers and, you know, and he like reaches over and puts his hand on top of mine. And as he's talking and I'm like, what the, like, just sitting there like, well, what did I do? I mean, you know, he had those little things. He had no idea. Oh, yeah. Or he'd be in the middle of a meeting. He pulls out the the uh, arm razor thing that he would shave the hair on his arms. You're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he has a lot of quirks. He used to have an electric um, shaver that he would shave with in meetings, too. So, yeah, it was yeah. just, uh, <laughs> and, and, you know, it's, you know, and, and his backstory, you know, there's, a, you know, for what he went through, you know, growing up and all this stuff and, you know, yeah. To go from being living in a trailer in North Carolina with his mother, you know, to to being a billionaire, it's like, what a fascinating story. And, 
you know, to, to not give up and to, you know, they're, they're, to know that he, if he missed one payment to his father on when he bought the company that, 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 that he would, the company would revert back to like the, the risks he's taken, like yeah. you have to respect that because when you, you put your money where the mouth is and yeah. he really has proven what a, what a way that to really build a business and all of us, as much as everybody has their opinions on him, the genre would not be where it is if he didn't do what he did. Yeah. Well, like with WrestleMania one, I mean, if that didn't go, we're not talking. Oh yeah. You know, he put everything on the line and did it more than once. Um, now the, the thing that is interesting for me though, from where I came from and when I was with that company, you know, from 87 to 93 is that, you know, you never heard of writers ever. Mm -hmm. I mean, they write, the writers didn't, it was, Pat and Bruce and, and Vince at his poolside, you know, yep. uh, and that's what, what the way it worked or the guys came up with their own storylines. They pitched them and it was a, just a different world, uh, back then. And I remember that, uh, and I, I don't, you probably have no idea who these people were, but Emily Feinberg was one of, uh, Vince's assistants, uh, at one point and her husband, Michael Feinberg was, uh, an advertising guy and, mm -hmm. He came into the company and he was like the first guy I was thinking about it today that he was the first person that was from the outside, wasn't from the wrestling world who Vince brought in. And, you know, at that time, like when I came in, you know, there was this collision of the two worlds. It was the old school. You had the, you know, the old generation of wrestlers you had and Vince realizing if I'm going to take this product to the next level uh, production wise, I've got to bring people in from the networks or outside. It can't be these guys who came from wrestling. It's just not going to happen. So there was this big collision. And that was like one of the last things, at least when I was there, you started to see change, but that did not go over easy at all. But Michael right. was very talented and he did some good stuff. He did a lot of the vignettes, but it was, uh, you know, I don't know if he ever got any credit for it, but he was like one of the first writers to come in. So when people, Talk about the writers today, and I think they have this vision, and you've talked about it before, that, you know, it's these idiot writers who have no, have know nothing about wrestling, and they come in from Hollywood, and they're used to doing, you know, sitcoms and think it's going to work with wrestling. Um, was, was that true then, and did you see it happening? And how much, you know, how, how much did these guys know about wrestling they were bringing in? So, so different people would come in with different skill sets, and, you know, yeah. Um, you know, they, they would bring like, um, this guy named Tom Chihawk. He was brought in to oversee the writing staff and he knew very little about wrestling. I think he wrote on Alice and he had managed some, it, it, was, it was so strange. And, yeah. uh, uh, like he, he just, he was out of his depths and, you know, it's funny to watch Elon Musk talk and, and Elon, if Elon Musk was a writer, Vince wouldn't have liked him based on how he speaks in his presentation. He's not a Vince. Like Vince would just like, oh, get to the point already, Elon. Like it yeah. would have been, just, he wouldn't have. <laughs> Go build a damn car. I don't care. Yeah, get the... yeah it's just like, oh, <laughs> this guy just talking about this. It's just like Vince has certain things that like Piccadillos. And guess what? It's his company. If he wants to hire this person to try something, but he's he works very well off of you know. The, the famous thing of like people talk about, like they'd pitch an idea to Vince, he'd say no. And then three weeks later, it would be his idea with like one yeah. small tweak. And right. it, it's he can he can do whatever he wants. And, you know, it's 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 his way or it's his way or the highway there. And, you know, a lot of people come and go. I mean, I think Bruce has been hired and fired like four times. And, you know, it's yeah. you know like the fact that Jeff Jarrett's back there is such a like 
it shows that Vince is willing to work with anybody. And, you know, the, the fact that they bring people back, the fact that Hogan came back after he testified against him, you know, like, like Vince understands that there's a difference between personal feelings and business feelings. Yeah. And he's like, I hope you like the taste of shit because you're going to eat a lot of it. And it's, yeah. it's a great. Well, I think that some reasons stuff. he brought he, some cases, he brought people back just so he could make them. Oh, eat yeah. that. <laughs> it's, and it's and you know what? It's it's your choice. You know, and yeah. he, right. it's it's interesting. The people that tell him no sometimes get further than the people that always say yes. Yeah. But that was always a fine line, too. People would say, Vince just wants you to stand up to him. And then you see the guys, you know, getting in a cab out front. <laughs> you know, right. it's just it, you just had to know uh, how to talk to him. And it, it didn't necessarily mean standing up to him. Yeah. Uh, but I um, there was, there, there was yeah. a guy that replaced me that would argue with him. I'm like, I said, a dollar's worth of advice. I've done this job for four years. Yeah. He's not going to want you to argue about sea level stuff like this. Because you're just wasting his time. I understand yeah. you think it's important, but you got to know what hill to die on. And I think that was a real lesson I learned from him as well. Yeah. And uh, after he shortly left for, uh, after that period of time, did you ever stay in touch? Because <laughs> sure he didn't. Um, uh, but the, 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 the writer, no. It's 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 funny. Is is like every year, like on his birthday, I'll send him a happy birthday email. <laughs> Vince, and sometimes he'll write back, and sometimes he does it. Yeah. And when. When Billy and I left Impact and we decided to start our thing, I, you know, I sent some thank you emails to a bunch of people that I work with. And with and it's I still have the picture to this day. Like there, there, I had four people in a row in my email. And one was my buddy that was just like just a random normal person that wrote back. And then in this order, it went Paul Heyman, Eric Bischoff and Vince McMahon. And like, you know, and it's just like he's like, glad you're doing well. Good for yeah. you. Like, like, and that's great. And I never, I've never called and asked him for a job. I've never written and asked for a job. You know, I will always forever thank him for what he did. Not only as a fan, like he can do whatever he wants. It's his company. And I understand, you know, can you criticize what's there? Possibly, but that's possible in every world, <laughs> you know? So, you know, he, he, he has done so much for all of us in so many ways that he gets a little carte blanche and obviously he can decide what he wants. And again, whatever happens is, is in his control. So why do you think it got to that point, though, where they started bringing in a lot of people? And at one point, I mean, I think they had a lot of writers. Yeah, was I it think that like the they were... was like 26 to 50 between like a home team. <laughs> when I was there, the most we ever had, I think the team was 10, maybe 12. Like okay. that was the biggest it was ever. And we had split the team. So when I managed SmackDown, I had like four or five guys that worked for me. And then Raw had six people. So, you know, it was it, – it, I think the company grew, and I was there what is the period they don't talk about. Like 2002 to 2006, they never speak fondly of. It's never <laughs> – they never, they never wax romantically about um, Mark Jindrak managed by Teddy Long. It's, ne it's never something that gets brought up in documentaries. But the company went – you know, it was pre-PG and post-Attitude era. Mm -hmm. And so, like – it, it, it it's really a fascinating time. You know, I mean, obviously a lot of bad stuff happened in that period with Eddie Guerrero's passing the Benoit story. Yeah. You know, there was a lot, there was a lot of negative publicity on the company and you know, it, it, it was not sunshine and rosy days, you know, like it, it was, it's really, I think his greatest accomplishment, what he did with no competition to get the company to where it was basically when they went on Fox, you know, they took yeah. the company. I remember when I got there, the stock was $9. I remember getting options at nine dollars 
And I remember feeling so good to sell them at 17. And now oh, to boy. see the stock. Just, Wish you would have held on, yeah. Well, and, and, you know, the stock ended up peaking, and I think it was like $99. Yeah. You know, he does not get like people don't give him enough credit to lead a company from nine dollars to yeah. ninety nine dollars on the stock market. And you again, you can argue with his creative, but he's building a real business. And, you know, it's a legacy business now. It is the Disney of, of, of wrestling. You know, it's it's the gold standard. And again, you don't have to like it to not. But you do have to respect what he did with it. Yeah. Now, and during that period, you say they don't like to really acknowledge it, but um what are you most proud of that you worked on there? I know you did a lot with Cena, and that was kind of the rise of, of John then. But yep. what, 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 when you look back, what do you look back most fondly being involved with, uh, you know, storylines that, uh, during that period? So, so my job was to manage SmackDown. So, you know, he was, he was actually a lot more patient with SmackDown on a lot of ways than yeah. he was with Raw. So, like, John Cena is a perfect example. Like, John, we brought John in and, you know, John used to talk about Johnny boots and tights. He was a guy with different colored boots and tights every week. But, you know, when he did this Halloween rap, you know, we were in, in the UK and I've heard 16 people take credit for who heard it and where they put it on. Mm. But what got John over in that character was the consistency. And every week I would, I would pit in the show, John does a rap on X, John does a rap on Y and John would, I would tell John, Hey, here's who you're working. Here's, here's, here's some ideas. And he would go off and write it and he like he would just do it. And for the first six months, he would do it. And Vince wouldn't he would just let him do it. And then, like, I remember one, he crossed the line on one line. I remember I remember John was the first person to ever mention the XFL um, no. in, a, in, a, in a negative ta- tone in that company. And it was 2003. And, and, you know, the pain was still fresh. It was actually WrestleMania. Yeah. Uh, he did it on the, the heat. And I remember this This goes to the Vince would like to see you. So that WrestleMania, which was at uh, Safeco Field or whatever, the Seattle Stadium. So Gorilla was in uh, either center field or right field. And mm-hmm. Vince's office was on third base. And so it was a 20-minute <laughs> walk to Vince's office. And there he is. He's wrestling that night. And he's fucking jacked up. He's in his, you know, his black pants and his and his wife beater. And he goes, what the hell was that XFL line? And he goes, I, from now on, I need to know everything he's going to say. No problem. I took it on the chin and, you know, I went back to John. And he goes, okay. And we learned. And, you know, it, it like like that kind of process to let John ascend. But also in that same period, you know, Eddie Guerrero and Ray Mysterio and, and a lot of guys, you know, just and, and just being able to help facilitate and and. A lot of this job is shepherding. It's and it's the same what I've done with Nick. You know, Nick is Nick is wholly talented and a large part of this process. But we all need producers. We all need somebody to say yes or no or try it this way. Yeah. And you know, it it's one of the things I'm proudest of is uh, is coming up with um, you know the ability to take a talent like Nick, who when 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 he took the chance on us and vice versa, he was out of the business. He had decided, well, maybe this isn't for me because I don't fit. Mm. And, you know, so so just like with Cena, you know, to, to, to give Nick this opportunity and he's made it his own. And he's as much an author in this and in, in the NWA story as anybody else. Wow. Uh, you know, uh, as far as part of this journey, I mean, really, and as of late, I mean, it's been that union with with Billy. And yeah. how, how did that all start? I mean, that uh, I know besides the fact that he was a huge wrestling fan, but how did that, uh, you know, start with you guys? So, so Billy, you know, has been a wrestling fan, you know, famously, he 
Paul Heyman wanted him to invest a million dollars in ECW for 10%, I think in 2000. And he um, turned it down yeah. because he, did, he didn't get any kind of creative input. You know, Billy or Heyman just wanted his money. And it, yeah. you know, so I met Billy sometime in the mid 2000s and we kind of always stayed in touch. Um, so when he came to Impact um, in, I think, 2014 or 15, I don't remember the exact year, you know, he remembered me and, you know, we have obviously always clicked well creatively and personally so that when, you know, when 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 things started to crater an impact and he saw what he calls it Game of Thrones, when the Game of Thrones happened uh, at impact, mm -hmm. he you know, he's we, we became allies. And, and I just basically said to him, I'm with you, whatever happens in this, like, I don't want to be here if, if it's not with you and and. Because I, because I, I kind of knew a little bit about you know the the people the the players, and you know once you, once you pick a side in, in a Game of Thrones situation, you are you are marked. So <laughs> when we didn't end up with the company. Right. I knew it was not going to go well, and I was told, and it's not any, even anybody that ended up with a piece of the company. I was told I was on a list, and I mm. remember talking to uh, I think it was Ed Nordholm who ran the company. I said I heard him on some list, and he goes I don't know what you're talking about. I said, well, this person is telling these three people that me, this talent, this talent, this talent, because we sided with Billy, are going to be marginalized. I said, and it's one of the reasons I'm deciding to leave is because if this is what you're, if this is who you're aligned with, I'm just not interested. I, I said, I've done nothing wrong except protect my friend's interest, who, by the way, paid $1.8 million to keep everyone employed while, while Dixie had cratered the company. You know, my loyalty is to whoever's paying me. And at that time, Billy was with no guarantee. And, you know, so that's where we kind of bonded. And then we really um, we really dove in. Um, we really dove into uh, doing this. Like I made 30 documentaries with him in 30 days. Yeah. Like what we, and, you know, that was really eye opening because I wanted to prove to him, look what we can do quickly. And great, we'll have more quality, but the world moves at that pace where we're recording this podcast. It'll probably go up within a day. And so, like, it's in the old days, you would produce it, you'd edit it. It would take, you know, a week, months to, to produce something, come out. Everything moves so fast that we aligned on it. And he's built, you know, he, he was one of the first people to say, this streaming thing is going to be a lot bigger than people said it. He said it in 1999 for music. And, yeah. you know, he's been always ahead of the curve on this. And that's where our point with power is, OK, yes, being on television would be great, but there's a barrier of entry and a cost to it. How do we do the same thing at a cost that's acceptable? And, you know, for him to take a risk and he's using his own personal money, it's not my money, it's my time. But that's why I kind of always defer to him on what vision he wants, because he's the one funding it. But I want to make sure that it's exactly of what the market's there. And we talk about it a lot. And. You know, he we, we communicate all day and it's, you know, I'll get a message here. He'll call me this time. We'll, we'll talk about this thing. We'll try this. And it's 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 probably the best work environment I've ever had in my life. You know, in all the organizations you work through and, and it's, you know, some of them not the best experiences. Uh, and you have this deep down love for wrestling. But did it dim it? And I mean, were there times you're saying, like, I've just got to get out of this business and uh, like we said before, uh, Godfather Three, you know, they they pulled you back in. I mean, what? what why do I, it? Do well, it. I, so so after the impact, I hate to use the word debacle because I yeah. did enjoy a lot of what I did creatively. But as far as a business thing, it was a debacle. 2016 
that that 2002 WWE and 2016 TNA are, are probably the two best stories that have never really been fully told. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, leaving, you know, Billy and I, when we were on the 30 days trip, I remember we went to we were re- literally on the border of Mexico. And for about 12 seconds, Billy wandered into Mexico by mistake. And he came back and we, we were sitting there talking. And I was like, what do we really like about wrestling? What what is it? And mm-hmm. And that conversation and that's why we don't we don't make bad deals. We don't, we don't get ourselves, you know, we didn't sell half the, we, we had an offer to sell half the company two weeks in after we bought it. Mm. And we decided that that's, we did, we haven't done anything yet. You know, like yeah. it's, it's hard to turn down millions and millions and millions of dollars, but right. the, the, our story is about what this is. And that's like, he, he wanted to, 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 and, and I was all on board, even if I was going to take less money, give up a lot more time and do, 70 to 30, 70% of what I'm doing is nothing I've ever done before in this job. It's like doing talent negotiations, editing, mm. shooting, like, but it allows me to be able to, to get the process right so that when we expand, I know where all the holes are. So when someone goes, no, oh, we'll do it this way. No, you're just, you want to be lazy and you want to do it that way. No, we're not doing it that way. So it allows us to have real sort of institutional control, which is a term he's used a lot, because if you don't have institutional control, then you're always sort of fighting uphill against somebody's wants and desires based on their their, their what they're looking to get out of the experience. Yeah, well, and it sounds like that's the way you plan to keep this, that you're not going to have anybody telling you guys what to do or compromising what you can do. And, uh, you know, it sounds like a successful formula, at least for your your own your own uh, selves. <laughs> well, it, it allows talents to know what they're getting into. Yeah. They know where the buck stops. And they also know that we're not – you know, none of us are, trust me, none of us are getting rich in this environment right now. It's simply, a, it's very much a passion project, but yeah. talents are, talents for probably since the, the dawn of wrestling time have been told A and then they get B. But yeah. when I tell someone A, they're getting A. And, you know, that, that, that level of communication has not existed. And, you know, it really kind of is important to uh, people to, to take a chance. And we're very genuine and very authentic and, I'm not going to carny you that, man, we got some big things coming. No, we're, we're going we're gonna to figure this out because that's the way the world is. And I can rattle off 20 YouTubers that are more famous than Brad Pitt right now as far as in the market, as far as, yeah. you know, connecting with an audience and, and understanding how 2019, 2020 media works. Yeah. Well, and as part of this that you feel that you're, you're uh, blazing a new trail in, in some ways of um... – you know, whatever the product is, but you guys are doing things that uh, that others aren't, and and it's the future. You you see yeah. what's what's ahead. Yeah, it's like like the podcast movement. I had a podcast in 2011. I did it for nine months, yeah. and once a week somebody brings it up to me, "Han, when are you going to bring that podcast back?" I mm-hmm. wouldn't do it because there are so many now. But like yeah. it's, it's, there's only like between AEW and us, there's only two original YouTube shows, wrestling wise, in the market, and like like. That's why they pair together so well, because there is a desire by the audience to watch original content in that world. And, you know, where we go next, who knows? Maybe there, like there's a platform called TikTok that we might say, hey, we're going to do the first wrestling TikTok show, which is basically <laughs> where uh, it's like like a lip sync video creation tool that I haven't even fully. Billy and I met with them in 2016 when they were I think it was called Musical.ly at the time, but. You know, like there are these new things. And guess what? That's where the that's where young viewers are. They're not right. watching cable television. They're not watching cable television every night. It's just not it's not what they grew up with. And, and right. it's 
So it's, it's for us, it's a very unique way to kind of create. And, you know, he's, he's believing in a vision that we've come up with together, or I'll say, hey, I want to try this documentary series. Okay, great. Just keep the costs manageable and we'll go from there. So it's, it's been really fun. And I don't know what the end game is. I don't know what the finish line looks like, but, you know, so it's a hell of a run between now and then. Uh, remind everybody again when and they can catch it on YouTube. Yeah. So it's uh, every every Tuesday at 6.05 Eastern. Um, I think that's uh, I think that's 12 o'clock, 12 o'clock Hawaiian. Uh, yeah. I, was, I was trying to figure out. What I know three o'clock here. So, yeah, yeah three o'clock so, uh, Pacific. Yeah. So, but 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 the good part is if you go and subscribe to the channel, if you just search NWA power, you can find it. They're all number episodes are numbered. There's a playlist. Yeah. You can, and we've got clips everywhere that will lead you to the episodes. You just search NWA Power with three R's and you'll find it, and one R you'll also find it. So. And uh, what about getting in touch with you? Uh, you uh, Twitter. I'm at I'm at Lagana and on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, don't add me on Facebook. People don't like. I literally on the top of my Facebook, it's for friends and family only. No mm-hmm. wrestling bookings. And every day I get about 20 people <laughs> trying to get booked. So. Yeah. That's the that's the fastest way to never get booked. So, yeah. well, Dave, I'm glad we had a chance to uh, get together again here. Uh, I had a blast, and we did get to uh, the, do that interview. Uh, I would hope to have done more, but uh, you know, I, I've got another job that uh, they've invited me back to do Starcast, and I just haven't been able to get away. But it, it's it, it's just so much fun, and I I really love to see what you guys are doing because I think we're going to look back and and see what uh, you're doing now and and what it grows into is it's the future of, uh, of, of sports entertainment i'd love for at some point you to come down and hang out hell maybe even sean mooney comes out and cuts a promo at the podium where we see the other side of sean mooney where he just snaps you know oh, like i've had gross. enough of holding the microphone i'm sure that i'm sure you have that side somewhere so <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> do you you remember when ian came out and they uh they just never let him loose but uh, oh, of course. It's, so it's never gotten over that All right, Dave Lagana, thank you so much for coming on Primetime. Thank you, Tom. All right, I really enjoyed that conversation with Dave. The NWA has definitely gotten the attention of the wrestling world with NWA's power. A great example of the many, many outlets out there now that you can use to watch professional wrestling. And they are using YouTube where their first show has had over a half a million views and is growing, you know, that's, uh, that's great. You know, you can uh, live stream these and then people can go back and watch them and you continue to get, uh, you know, views on there. And uh, it is an income stream. It is just one platform, though, and they are looking to use others as they stay on the edge of what is the future of professional wrestling and sports entertainment. And I plan on bringing on some of the uh, talent from the NWA's power learn more about this great future that they're a part of. Folks, once again, I want to remind you to check out our Patreon membership. Just go to patreon.com slash primetimemooney. Get the podcast early and ad-free for as little as $4.99, or you can get all the great perks by becoming a Mooney or a Legion of Who member. Uh, check it out. Just go to patreon.com slash primetimemooney. Uh, you'll find all the details right there, and I hope you will join us. Also, don't miss our new addition to the PTSM family. Uh, the PTSM Network Classics, uh, the watch-alongs with me every single week. Uh, this uh, week, uh, we uh, watched the January 4th, 1985 episode of Tuesday Night Titans, if you remember that. And uh, maybe you recall why it was called Tuesday Night Titans, because the parent company at the time was called Titan Sports. That was uh, Vince's company. 
They, uh, of course, changed it with the World Wrestling Entertainment and all that. But uh, back then, it was called Titan Sports when I worked there. And I had a lot of fun doing that episode. Oh, my God. It's so bad. So bad it was good. Uh, they drop every Monday at 6 a.m. Eastern Time. And, of course, the latest episode from The Vault that uh, we drop every Saturday morning at uh, 6 a.m. Eastern Time. And once again, for all you business owners out there, hiring can be a slow process. Zip Recruiter can make it so much easier to find the absolute best candidate. And because you listen faithfully to Primetime with Sean Mooney, you can try Zip Recruiter absolutely free. Just go to our website at ziprecruiter.com slash primetime. That's ziprecruiter.com slash primetime. Zip Recruiter, the smartest way to hire. And uh, folks, if you like what you're hearing, uh, please go to iTunes and uh, subscribe, of course, and then give us uh, a five-star rating and a review. It uh, will be very much appreciated. It helps uh, put us out there on the charts and helps uh, spread the word. So please do that if you can. Thanks for listening, everybody. Be sure to catch a brand new original episode of Primetime with Sean Mooney next Wednesday morning at 6 a.m. Eastern Time. I'm Sean Mooney, and I am out.